Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Evan Schwarzschrauber. On today's show, are internet platforms enabling sex trafficking? Some in Congress seem to think so. And recently, uh, a couple of uh, members of Congress introduced the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act of 2017. Now, of course, this is definitely something our government should be focusing on. Sex trafficking is a terrible crime. But what does this bill have to do with the Internet and tech policy? And could this actually backfire? Will the bill have its intended effect? And what kinds of types of consequences might we see for the Internet broadly? Joining me to discuss this is Tech Freedom President Baron Soka and affiliated fellow at Tech Freedom Ash Kazarian. Gentlemen and lady, thanks for joining. Thank you for having me back. So what is motivating Congress to get into this issue right now? Um, Ash, can you kind of describe what's going on with the website Backpage? Now, for listeners that don't know what Backpage is because they use Craigslist, Backpage is essentially the other Craigslist. Now, uh, Craigslist made a decision a while back to get out of uh, the prostitution business, uh, to be blunt, uh, having ads that directly advertise sex services. Uh, Backpage did not get out of that business, and uh, now they might be regretting that decision. But uh, Ash, what happened with this website, and why is Congress so focused on Backpage.com? So Backpage.com is the other version of Craigslist, but most of their revenues come from prostitution ads and some sex trafficking ads. Um, there is, have been multiple cases where victims and state attorney generals would go after Backpage. So now Backpage, when they were fighting back, they were quoting Section 230 of Communications Decency Act and saying that they're not liable because they're an information intermediary and they have this immunity from third-party contact that is created on their website. So this is something we've talked about on the show many times, not just in the context of advertising on platforms like Craigslist, but also short-term rentals and even just people using platforms like Facebook. Now, Baron, Backpage is claiming that Section 230 protects them. Before I ask you if that's a legitimate claim, what is Section 230 and why is it important for for the internet? It's the law that made the internet possible today. So 1996, Uh, Congress rewrote the Telecommunications Act, and in the process of doing that, they stitched together the Communications Decency Act with uh, the the 96 Telecom Act. And fortunately, the Supreme Court struck down most of the Communications Decency Act, the parts of the act that would have uh, censored the internet. What they left in place is the part of the the CDA, the Communications Decency Act, Section 230, that creates uh, an immunity for uh, online platform operators but a limited immunity. And and there are a few key limitations. So first of all, it does not uh, exclude prosecution for federal criminal law. So sex trafficking and really any other federal criminal law is still something that you can sue someone for, even despite Section 230. And that means not just the people who do the trafficking, but conspiracy to engage in trafficking, inducement. Those are all not covered by Section 230's safe harbor. Uh, nor are uh, the intellectual property laws, and nor are um, things that happen if you exceed the scope of the immunity. And, and, and that's a little complicated, but basically it means that if you are acting as the publisher of content, which was what originally prompted Congress to, to realize they needed to write this law, uh, under traditional uh, tort liability and for things like defamation, 
you, the publisher, would have been held liable for, for what you publish. That's why, for example, you have to screen letters to the editor. Yeah, and that's right? why newspapers have you know rigorous compliance departments and why exactly. magazines have to worry about this stuff. But of course, it was different with the internet. Right, and, and, and Congress recognized that that wasn't going to scale. Even before there was a Web 2.0, even before there were social networks, uh, there were sites like eBay that um, used... Uh, online posting uh, by users um, to make their sites work. And it was not feasible, even then, even at the scale we were talking about, to expect uh, websites, uh, online platforms, to take responsibility for moderating and screening and filtering all of the content that was put up on their sites. And moreover, Congress recognized that if you did hold them liable, you w- that one of two things would happen, right? Both of which would be bad. Either uh, sites would um, uh, not allow that functionality at all. They wouldn't allow users to post that content. Or they would be uh, in a position where they would just try to avoid doing anything that might trigger um, their having knowledge of bad content on their site. And so Section 230 is explicitly styled as a good Samaritan law that is intended to encourage online sites uh, to to go out and be good Samaritans, to, to take... Um, Responsibility, not because they have to legally uh, necessarily, uh, but because it's in their own interest, it's the interest of their users to police content on their sites. You wouldn't want to uh, perversely discourage them from trying to see what's on their sites, uh, taking some efforts to take stuff down uh, because they might fear that if they didn't take down everything, that they would be held liable. Yeah, and Section 230 at a basic level is essentially a safe harbor. It's a liability shield. Um, you know, Yes, that was a very uh, helpful description of what it does in detail, but if you try to think about it at a basic level, it's essentially we're not holding websites responsible for the content that their users post within reasonable limits, of course. And there's something similar in the copyright world, which we talked about on this show before. And just, just imagine, listener, things like YouTube where everyone's posting videos all the time, billions of people watching. Imagine Facebook, billions of users, Google. And and imagine a smaller company that doesn't have maybe uh, resources to litigate. These platforms might not have developed in the way that they did if every time something bad happens in the world, someone could point to a piece of content on the internet and try to sue the platform. So this was really a forward-thinking law back in 1996, an example of uh, you know really great bipartisanship too. And now you've got a company claiming that they're protected by it, but are they? So again, two key limitations. They're not immune from federal criminal prosecution. The law um, says that they are immune from state criminal prosecution. And frankly, I think that's a good thing. We don't want uh, every state bringing enforcement actions. The internet is is a uniquely interstate medium. I think it's quite appropriate that the Department of Justice be responsible for policing federal laws. Because then you otherwise you would have, what, 50 different standards and every website would have to know 50 different ways that a state might approach these laws and these interpretations. Yeah, and and highly selective enforcement. I mean, the reality here is that uh, state attorneys general actually in other areas of of internet policy have accomplished quite a lot simply by by bringing lawsuits. They, that that itself can change the way the internet works, and that was certainly the case in the context of Craigslist and Section 230, where states attorneys general brought suits that were clearly barred by 230 uh, and didn't. And I, I I know for a fact that one of those state attorney generals had never heard of Section 230. They weren't even aware of it. So we we want the A team to be frank, bringing these suits, and that's the Department of Justice. So so. I would read Section 230 as not a bar on federal criminal prosec- on criminal prosecution, but rather a federalism law that simply says this is going to be governed by federal law enforcement, 
And then Congress has, uh, or several times, has tweaked what those laws look like. But again, Section 230, the safe harbor, does not apply to any federal criminal law. So that's the first exception. And the second, as I was saying before, is it only applies if you're a publisher. So if you are responsible for developing or creating content, even in part, you are no longer a publisher. You have crossed the line from publisher into content creator, and Section 230 does not apply at all. And then you can be sued in uh, civil court for damages. And that's a really key part of this discussion because a lot of people in Washington assume that Section 230 is a complete bar on civil prosecution or civil litigation, and it's not. So, Ash, as you brought up earlier, it's interesting that at the same time that uh, there are members of Congress in both the Senate and House that think Section 230 is a problem and that it's preventing uh, the prosecution and investigation of sex crimes, you mentioned all this stuff's already in motion in regards to Backpage. People have already been arrested. Um, There's a case going on. Backpage refused to appear uh, before Congress when they were subpoenaed. So how is it that at the same time, the proper procedures for, uh, you know, investigating Backpage and holding them accountable that Congress wants to get rid of Section 230. I mean, is this is this bill, do they truly believe this bill will reduce sex trafficking or is there something else going on? Well, they might truly believe in that. Uh, that doesn't mean it's true. If we're, they're going after the websites because that's where a lot of the activity, illegal activity right now is happening. However, sex trafficking was a thing before internet was around and after internet is gone sex trafficking still when's the internet gonna be gone that's the this is an unfortunate listeners it will will turn into something use your internet before it's gone (laughs) so what makes backpage a unique case in that they don't deserve this protection is it because as baron said they're essentially curating the content it's not a passive thing where people are just posting is it that they know the role that their website is playing in sex trafficking does is that key to the case that essentially prosecutors are trying to prove that they knew this was going on and they could have done something about it and they didn't do something about it yeah that's the thing section 230 doesn't protect websites that have actual knowledge and are actively developing content and have substantial role in creating this illegal content which backpage is however backpage is used as a poster child to go after every single other website so i i, I would unpack that just a little bit more so there's two questions here, right? So one is, is Backpage guilty of a federal crime? And again, those today are things like conspiracy and inducement. And right now that is apparently being uh, developed by the Department of Justice. There is a story back from April uh, saying that the uh, Department of Justice has uh, has impaneled a grand jury in Arizona, and there are public court uh, filings by the defendants who are the founders of Backpage whose lawyers say that they expect indictments are, are imminent. So based on that, it appears that Department of Justice has not in fact been sitting on their hands, that they actually have been building a case and are about to make those indictments. And and that case will probably bring to light significant new evidence that we haven't seen, in addition to the evidence that's already out there about Backpage's role in, in sex trafficking. So that's the criminal side of this. Um, now, the civil side of this uh, it depends on the criminal side because it depends on the evidence that comes uh, forward. But there are um, two notable cases here. The um, and, and the question here you, you asked: Has Backpage crossed that line from publishing content to being responsible for uh, d- developing or creating it, at least in part? And and there are two notable court decisions on that. The uh, First Circuit said no. 
They said that the um, specific things that Backpage is accused of doing, having to do with rules for posting and how your website works, that those are core aspects of being a publisher, and that's what Section 230 was designed uh, to cover. Uh, The Supreme Court of the state of Washington disagreed, uh, citing the Ninth Circuit's decision in roommates.com, where the Supreme Court, uh, where the Ninth Circuit had, had looked at other arguments and had said that the way that that roommates.com designed their interface, they specifically solicited illegal information, which was race-based preferences for housing. And so in the state of Supreme uh, of Washington Supreme Court decision, they looked at essentially the same fact pattern that the First Circuit had looked at and said, actually, we think there's enough evidence here to let the suit go forward. That suit is now in litigation. And here's the, the key detail. This isn't just that these two courts have disagreed. It's that there is already a lot more evidence out there today about the role that Backpage has played, and there will be even more evidence based on this criminal prosecution when that comes out, such that I I actually think it's going to be increasingly um, easy for civil plaintiffs to say that Backpage has crossed that line because they've done more than simply uh, designing the rules of their site in, in a certain way. There may be evidence of intent. There, there may be other evidence of things that they've done. So I, the point here is just that some people in Congress are assuming that there can be no civil remedy against Backpage today. And, and my point is that actually that is um, yet to be determined in court. And if I had to predict it, I think that the state of Washington suit is probably more Uh, likely to happen and that you will see civil litigation proceed. And that means that that victims of sex trafficking will be able to get restitution from Backpage if they can show that Backpage, again, was in part responsible for developing uh, content. You make a compelling legal case that this is a unique set of circumstances and that maybe the system is actually working and that those exceptions to Section 230 are played out and that maybe we should not be reconsidering this statute. But here's the reality. There are members in Congress who very much want to reduce sex trafficking. It's a very important goal for them, and they believe that the internet is facilitating it, and they've seen a website, even if it's inappropriate, try to hide behind this law. And maybe they're looking at Section 230 and saying, fine, maybe Backpage is is not protected, but look, websites are doing bad things and then trying to use Section 230 protections, and maybe that's enough of a reason to reconsider. And then there's also a practical concern. You're mentioning DOJ is the best enforcement mechanism, but you've got local law enforcement that has to deal with uh, sex trafficking. You've got state law enforcement and you've got federal. It's all three uh, levels of government and only one is allowed to prosecute under Section 230. So is it reasonable for the DOJ to have to police sex trafficking, not just in the United States, but in the world without the help of local and state? And essentially is Section 230 a resource problem? Is it feasible for government to do this on its own? And maybe that's why Congress wants the platforms policing their websites themselves, because they don't believe government has enough resources. Well, if platforms police their websites, that's a free speech problem that we don't even have time to get into. If the members of Congress and senators were that worried about sex trafficking, they would think about this from another angle. Sex trafficking is a horrific crime. And if we go after the platforms, Sex traffickers, they're just going to go into the dark web where it's harder to track them, where um, investigations are going to be more timely and more expensive. Yes. Um, The best um, example of actually solving the sex trafficking problem is King County in Washington State, where they changed 
the way um, law enforcement cooperates and different branches of law enforcement cooperate and go after the criminals, and their numbers have dropped in the recent years. So we should actually help states police and investigate, not go after websites, because websites are always uh, helping law enforcement there. Um, the second they get a warrant, they open up their records and they help track down the criminals. Are they doing enough, though? I mean, is, is this essentially a case where government is dissatisfied with the current level of cooperation and the believe that this bill will induce more cooperation? I mean, uh, what is the alternative, if not this bill, Baron? Well, look, uh, there's nothing today to stop state and local uh, law enforcement from working these cases, doing investigations, and then turning over the actual prosecution to the Department of Justice. That that could be the cooperation between indeed. the three levels. And 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 I'd like to know why that isn't happening more often. It, it, it's really hard to say from the outside here whether uh, this isn't being sufficiently prioritized, whether it's under-resourced, whether that state to, to federal uh, collaboration isn't working well, or whether it's just that, that these cases take time to build and that DOJ is has actually been working and they've got a case that's ready to drop. There's no way for anyone really on the outside to answer that question. These are all things, all questions that Congress should be asking. Now, there have been letters from uh, some members of, of Congress, of the Senate in particular, to the Attorney General asking uh, what's going on and, and what sort of priority is being given to these cases. And that's a great question to ask. But we need to have more um, hearings on this, n- not not as to delay, but to understand better what's happening and to understand what should be what could be done to actually help victims. And, and instead, what seems to be happening here is um, members of Congress are panicking, and largely in response to a media um, storm that's been brewing this year around a movie that came out, uh, I Am Jane Doe, got a lot of attention. And the response on Congress, instead of trying to understand the problem, seems to be, well, let's pass a bill. And let's pass a bill without going through the normal hearing process to build a record. And that that's a terrible way to regulate in general, but it's exceptionally inappropriate given that, again, this law, it's not sacrosanct. I'm, I'm all for assessing 230 and asking hard questions about whether it's working, but we need to be very careful about tinkering with it. Yeah, and uh, to that point... We're recording this on Thursday, August 3rd. Uh, Today, Tech Freedom and the R Street Institute led a bipartisan coalition of public interest groups in expressing concerns about this bill. And one of those concerns was proper process, right? Like maybe it's worth having this conversation and maybe we should be discussing legislation to amend Section 230, but to deny a hearing or a public forum for us to debate this very important issue is not good process. Another uh, interesting point in the letter is uh, this last sentence. Uh, which essentially is saying this could serve as a first step toward further amendments that serve less laudable purposes. So here we've got a very sympathetic case, and it's hard to be seen as not wanting to curb sex trafficking, right? And you could end up with a very uh, simplistic framing, which is not true, that essentially you're either, you're either, you either care about sex trafficking, you support the bill, or you clearly don't care about sex trafficking and you oppose the bill. And it's obviously not that simple, but this creates a political problem for companies, for people who want to defend internet freedom um, from uh, erosion uh, in legislation. Uh, but of course, there are less sympathetic cases of Section 230 coming under attack and intermediate liability in general. And uh, what are those dominoes that you're worried about, Baron? here in this letter? Uh, maybe today it's about sex trafficking. Maybe tomorrow it's short-term rentals. I mean, is there a motivation to amend Section 230 that is not so noble? And are there some other special interests at play here? 
Well, the the bill that we're we're talking about today, the the Stop Enabling Sex uh, Traffickers Act of 2017, is narrower than other proposals. Uh, it would focus on a creating a new uh, standard. Uh, in the federal law that covers uh, sex trafficking, and then amending Section 230 to allow for uh, states to bring enforcement actions uh, in in laws that uh, that uh, relate to sex trafficking, which is actually very vague. And you can imagine all sorts of cases where state AGs would just bring the lawsuits they've always wanted to bring, and then throw in something about sex trafficking, and it would actually be really hard to to distinguish in practice. Uh, but at least in principle, the bill attempts. To, uh, to, to be limited to sex tra- trafficking more generally. And when we try to imagine what a world looks like if this bill passes, you know, there are some possibilities. Websites can react in a variety of ways. One might be to avoid liability by just not filtering your platform at all. Just saying like, look, it's a wild west. Everyone puts everything up there and we don't have a compliance team and we don't have a team to review it. So that's what it is. And it's essentially a form of plausible deniability. That's one way you might avoid liability. And, and in particular, the, the reason for that, the reason that would work is this bill would add an um, knowing conduct standard in defining what it means to be participating in a sex trafficking venture. Yeah, and if you don't know, then you don't know. And, and that's exactly that term is very, very unclear. And the reason what you just said might happen is because someone might say, well, let's just try to not know anything at all. And then we'll avoid this this legal standard. And that that, again, would undermine that good Samaritan purpose of the bill. Yeah, then you could also go another route and you could say, I'm going to be extra cautious. I'm going to over filter. So not only am I going to try to get all of the bad content, uh, what's going to happen is um, in the dragnet, maybe there'll just be normal content or free speech that is being dragged into it too. That could be another one. Or the worst outcome might be that they just say, you know, the real problem is users. Like allowing them the freedom to post is what gets us in trouble. So things like comment sections and Facebook status updates, those might be well, They changed. might have a point w- with respect to comment sections. Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously stay away from comment sections from your own mental health, Ash. There are already cases, people go after Yelp. A psychiatrist went after a Yelp review and was trying uh, to force Yelp to unmask <laughs> that reviewer. Um, Yelp has been sued a couple of times in different circuits. Uh, this might end up in the Supreme Court. Yeah, this anonymity issue is something you'll be seeing more from Tech Freedom in the Glassdoor case. Um, so, I mean, next steps. I mean, do we think this bill is going to move? I mean, is this really um, a possibility that a bill like this could be signed into law given opposition from groups like Tech Freedom, from the tech industry? I mean, is there enough support for the bill from those who dedicate their lives to a very noble cause of uh, sex trafficking? I mean, how do you see this playing out politically over the next month or so? What's interesting that politically groups starting from EFF on the left and ending with R Street on the right and Tech Freedom in the middle all oppose it. So we have a strong coalition. However, I don't see as much of a rise in because we're so you know distracted every day by a new news story that I don't see as much of an opposition to this bill and there are so many co-sponsors that in this climate you never know if it's going to pass and, and in particular the the concern here is our no, as our letter notes is that um, people have talked about attaching this bill to the National Defense Authorization Act which is one of those few must pass vehicles yeah we have to up. have a military essentially if we don't pass this we don't have a military <laughs> yeah and so that's the question so if uh, I'll just put it this way if if the bill uh, gets attached to the NDAA it may very well pass. Uh, that would be a horrendous way to make policy uh, for the internet. 
Uh, on the other hand, if um, if reason prevails and the senators who have signed on to this, who, who understandably want to do something about sex trafficking, if they're willing to um, to to take a moment to breathe and, and to try to think this through and to put this bill through normal process, whatever happens here will look very different from what has been proposed. And again, I think there are uh, things that, that certainly can be done on the resource side and the collaboration side. I'm also not against um, changing Section 230 uh, necessarily or to address some of the specific concerns that have come up in litigation. Um, but this bill doesn't do that. This bill goes far beyond that and it just needs to be rethought from the ground yeah. up. And, and you know, just I'll, I'll add a couple things here. I mean, there's a lesson for the tech industry here, and this is what we've seen play out in other areas where when people feel that tech is getting a free pass or that it thinks it's special or that it's above the law, that's a problem for the industry and it's a problem for policy. And uh, just as the tech industry needs to consider the externalities of automation and disruption and those people who are left behind or those that don't benefit from rapid innovation, the tech industry needs to consider that while most of the uses of its platforms and services will be for good, there will be uses for bad and some of them may be very profound, even if they're a tiny percentage. So you know, maybe companies don't want to be doing this, but they need to be talking about, well, why is sex trafficking hard to prosecute? Why is it on the rise or, or how can we deal with it? And maybe they need to be having these conversations and yes, it can go to uh, more funding for the DOJ or whatever, but we need to be having these conversations. And I think platforms might be caught off guard if they're not getting out in front of these and recognizing what Congress is prioritizing and coming up with alternatives, because it is very easy to point out a lot of problems with this bill. And there are a lot of problems, but it was, what is very hard is to then say, well, what's your solution? And the tech industry might say, well, it's not fair to be asking us to solve sex trafficking. But the reality is this, this criminal activity does uh, use technology and people are using communications platforms all the time these days. So everyone need, might need to be a part of this conversation. We might need well, to figure this out. And they already are. I just want to emphasize again here, this, this, in, quote industry by which we're really talking about big companies Google Facebook uh, Microsoft Apple Amazon they already do a great deal of work to police their sites um, any social network will do this not because they have a legal duty as such to do it although actually again they can be held legally right. liable but there's other reasons right they do it because it's the right thing to do and it's what their users want and and they're they have produced a number of very useful tools for this process their cooperation here is essential, right? There's no way to help sex trafficking victims by making these websites less willing to police their sites. Yeah, we definitely want more cooperation, not less. Any final thoughts, Ash? I just wanted to highlight the fact that Section 230 helped create the internet, not just for big companies. And, you know, we kept saying industry, Microsoft, Facebook. Internet is a place where minority voices are heard. It's a place where women get to organize and have their initiatives out. That movie that we just mentioned, I'm Jane, Jane Doe, yeah. it had traction and got funding because that story got on the internet. So we have to think really hard before we uh, take away any part of Section 230. Yeah, and it's not just giant companies with large legal teams that might be affected. It might be any company that allows traffic uh, from users. And, 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 and those small companies are the future big companies of tomorrow. This, this, We, we, we really risk uh, upsetting the process of disruption that makes the internet a healthy and vibrant place.
So we're going to have to leave it there, but we'll be tracking this issue. And we have our uh, coalition letter that we sent on August 3rd and a statement. We'll make sure to link to those in the show notes. And as this uh, issue develops and we see what happens with this bill, we'll be updating you right here on the Tech Policy Podcast. Uh, we thank my guests from Tech Freedom, Baron Soka, president of our fine organization, and Ash Kasarian, affiliated fellow who focuses on privacy and free speech. Gentlemen and lady, thanks for joining. Thank you. Thanks. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Freedom. Let us know what you think. Send us an email at media at techfreedom.org. You will not be held liable, and neither will we. Uh, write a review in the iTunes store, which, again, is protected by Section 230 for now. And uh, we really appreciate that because it helps others find the show. Thanks for listening. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan, nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.